And our, our texts for today are in 2 Corinthians in 8 and 9, and I'll be sort of skipping through both of those chapters from verse to verse if you want to open your Bibles there, and I'll just pray before we begin. Father God, uh, you've, um, I thank you, first of all, for this series that you've put on our heart to consider uh, the needs of those who are displaced for various reasons, and, uh, and what the biblical response is of your people that as Christians, how we should show mercy, and how we are to show compassion, and how we are to be generous. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look at your scripture this morning, that your Holy Spirit would guide us, uh, that we would learn, and uh, that we would be conformed to the image of your Son, as is your will for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So, our text opens up in 2 Corinthians 8, and Paul is writing his second letters to the church at Corinth at this point, and the context of his teaching on generosity is is not directly relevant today. There was a particular need of the church in Jerusalem that he was um, getting the response of the churches around uh, Turkey and Asia Minor to support Jerusalem. And, uh, and so that, that particular emphasis isn't exactly relevant today. But the, the characteristics or the, the principles that he laid out in these two chapters on generosity, of course, apply to the church today. Because there were people in need on one hand, and there were people with means to meet that need on the other. And so Paul takes a few paragraphs in this letter here to teach and encourage on generosity. And uh, in doing so, I think he gives us a fantastic example of what Christian generosity should look like and why. And so he starts out very quickly, Paul gives the Corinthians an example of the behavior uh, of other mature Christians. He's talking about the Macedonians in chapter 8, and he he puts them forth as an example of what generosity should look like. And he says in verse 2, "...for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part." And so he says, here's these people who have very little, and yet generosity is just flowing out of them. And then through the following text, after Paul sort of sets up the Corinthians that way uh, to uh, expect what they're going to hear from him, uh, he points out and he outlines a number of important principles that God has instilled in Christian generosity. Now, there's seven principles that I've pulled out of here, and we're going to hit them, but we're going to hit the principles really, really quickly uh, because I want to get to uh, the picture that Paul paints of what these principles should look like in practice. So we'll, hit, we'll do the principles. The first one... That, that Paul points out is, he says that these Macedonians have given themselves to the Lord first. He says this generosity is, is not what we, is unexpected, because they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. And so Paul, in Paul's mind, there's this connection between the generosity shown by these Christians in Macedonia and the fact that they had given themselves to the Lord first. He wasn't surprised that they were generous people because they were committed to following Christ. And Paul expected people who were Christ followers to be generous. And so the reverse of that would also apply, that if we're struggling in our generosity, perhaps it's because we haven't given ourselves first to the Lord. And so the first principle of generosity is give your life to the Lord, give your heart to the Lord, give yourself over to the Lord first, because that's where your generosity will come from. I mean, if I'm up here today and I had to uh, make you decide between, you know, giving to a ministry or giving to support another trip to water ambassadors to Nicaragua or giving to the church or giving yourself and committing yourself to the Lord, I would say commit yourself to the Lord first because it's the committing of ourselves and giving ourselves to the Lord that then creates in us this heart of generosity that Paul is not surprised to see. And so our giving, when we think about giving, starts with us giving ourselves to the Lord, Paul says here in 2 Corinthians. And then secondly, he says, imitate 
Jesus, because Jesus became poor for us to become rich. He says in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. And so Paul here is is saying that our mercy and generosity flows from us as Christians because we have that grace that Jesus has poured out upon us. He was rich. He was rich beyond our imagining. The Son of God in heaven, in perfect communion with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. He had all power and all righteousness and all purity and all fellowship in the Trinity. But He gave that up and He became poor so that by Him becoming poor and taking on the image and the flesh of humanity, we could become rich in every way just as He is rich. And so Paul says, after giving yourself to Jesus and giving yourself to the Lord, that your generosity should flow out of you as an imitation of Jesus Christ who had all the riches and yet was willing to give them up. To become poor like we can't imagine being poor compared to who he was and what he had in heaven with his Father. And so his poorness is an example to us. And that's just another piece that fits into our theology of mercy. Jesus gave for us and so we give for others. And then Paul goes on to a third principle. He says, give according to what you have. In 2 Corinthians 8.12, he says, for if the readiness is there, now you're ready to give, you've followed after the Lord and you've seen the example of Jesus and you're ready to give, it's acceptable according to what a person has and not according to what they don't have. And so Paul here, in his principles of giving that he's laying out, he's not advocating that people impoverish themselves in giving. He expects that people will give according to what they have and that what they are ready to give. And he knows that it's going to be different for different people. Not everybody's going to give the same thing. They're not all going to give the same amount. They're not all going to give the same proportionally. But Paul expects it to be according to what they have in their means. And you'll notice here that Paul talks several times about money. He talks a number of times about money, and so does does Jesus talk a lot about money. But he never gives, even in this specific case of the church in Jerusalem, he never gives an amount. He never gives a figure. Paul never says, you know, we need to raise 500 talents or we need to raise 10,000 talents and, you know, puts a thermometer up on the synagogue wall and, you know, everybody's giving to to the amount. He never gives a figure. He just says, I'm not telling you how much I expect and I'm not even telling you how much I expect from you. I'm expecting you to give according to what you know you have and what you know that God has blessed you with. He simply says, you know how much God has given you and so now you give accordingly. And then Paul goes on, and he gives another principle in, this, in there. Uh, he says that uh, the, the idea that should guide our giving and should guide our, our open-handed generosity is that it's compared to what we have, what we've been given, but it should also be compared to what others don't have. He says, meet basic needs evenly. Be aware of what you have and be aware of what other people have and make sure everybody's needs are met evenly. He says in verses 14 to 15, He says, your abundance at this present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And so Paul points back here to the Old Testament. He actually quotes uh, the Old Testament here as a guide and an instruction to the present church. But notice this, he does not go back and point to the tithe as you might have expected, right? You would think that Paul might go to the Old Testament and say, tithe, you know, the people the way people tithe before. But what he actually goes back to as an example from the Old Testament is he refers to the people of God caring for the people of Israel, or God caring for the people of Israel in the wilderness. 
That quote that he uses there is from Exodus 16, 18. And what it tells us there is that when God supplied manna from heaven, you remember that, right? The people were in the wilderness and they had nothing and God supplied the bread from heaven, the manna came down. And what it's referring to there in Exodus that Paul quotes is that everybody had exactly what they needed no matter how much they gathered. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. So in other words, Paul points to the example of what this generosity in the church should look like is that everybody should have their basic needs met equally, that nobody should lack and nobody should be hoarding. Because if you hoarded the manna, do you remember what happened? If some families tried to hoard the manna, what happened to it? Yeah, rotted. It got all wormy and stuff, right? And so Paul points back, and he's, he's, not, he's not stupid. He knows that the people that he's talking to know exactly what he's talking about. And so when he points back to the Old Testament, he doesn't point back to the tithe. He says, no, 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 look at how God cared for us in the wilderness. He gave us all exactly what we needed. And those families that tried to hoard it, it ended up wasting away on them. And so don't hoard it up and have it go all wormy and rotten and have the supply that God has given you be wasted. Instead, distribute it evenly because as you have much, others have little. And when they have much, you may have little. But let everybody have what they need equally. There, there may be fairness. And so there's a principle here that, God, that Paul outlays that we should meet basic needs evenly. Everybody should have their needs met at a basic level. And that we, if anyone doesn't have their basic needs met, those who have should be supplying it. And then a fifth principle, that we should give willingly what is promised. And I'm, just, I'm going quickly here, partly because of time, but also I plan to go quickly because I wanted to get to the image at the end that I want to leave you with, that Paul ultimately leaves his people with, uh, apart from all these different principles. So the fifth principle is that we give willingly what is promised. In chapter 9, as you go forward in verse 5, Paul makes mention of the people of Corinth and the promise that they have made or the obligation that they have taken on that they should therefore honor that obligation in their generosity and in their giving. And when I read that, when I read that word promise and the, and ob, or obligation, depending on your your translation, the obligation that they'd taken on, I couldn't help but think about how many promises and obligations that we have taken on right now in the world, and we never think of not honoring uh, even the most trivial or insignificant of them. And, and I can think of some big ones. So we take on a promise for a mortgage, right? We, and we have an obligation to our mortgage, and we pay that mortgage faithfully every month. You've got to pay the bank, right? Or there's consequences. You know, and, and, and we have to pay the heating bill, and we have to pay, uh, you know, for the car and the car payments and put gas in the car. And we pay all those things without even thinking about it. We honor those promises, and we honor those obligations that we have. But then I, I kept thinking about it, and I thought, you know, but then we also, you know, we... You know, we sign up for Netflix for eight bucks, and then we also sign up for cable for another 60, and then we get a cell phone data package for another 50 bucks, and then we pay Rogers for whatever, a satellite dish or whatever. And we take on all these obligations, and we never think, well, you've got to pay Rogers, right? You've got to pay Bell. You've got to pay Telus. You know, so we write our check for 120 or 150 bucks or whatever it is for our cable and our cell phone, and we honor all those obligations we met. And then we get to church, and we think, well, what's left over for God? What promise have we made to God and what obligation do we have to God? Rogers is getting paid. And I had to look at this in my own life. There was a time when Rogers was getting more money than God, right? So Rogers was worth a lot to me in my life because he was, you know, Rogers had my cable and my cell phone and my data plan and my internet. And I had no problem honoring that promise to pay Rogers. But when it came to honoring my promise for God, it was a different story. And so I, I take that text there where Paul encourages the chorus. He says, you should be willing 
to keep the promise that you have, to meet your obligation in generosity. And we meet, in our culture, we meet those promises in a lot of different places, but I don't know that we always meet them when it comes to God. And so we got to prioritize the obligations that we're taking on. And I'm not saying cable is bad or internet is bad or cell phones are bad, but where does our obligation to bell and tell us come in relation to our obligation and our promise to God? And so we have to think about that as a fifth principle that we honor the promises and the obligation that we have. And then sixthly, a sixth principle that Paul gives here, and I'm just sort of going through the paragraphs and pulling out as he spoke to the Corinthians, he says that we are to give what is purposed in our heart. And so again, Paul makes no mention of a specific number with relation to this challenge of the promise. He doesn't say how much they should be giving. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so it's what you purpose in your heart. Paul says it's up to you to decide what it is that you're going to promise to God. It's up to you what you're going to decide is your obligation to God. And then be faithful. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Paul's not going to tell the Corinthians what it is. It's not up to anyone else. It's between you and God to decide in your heart. And then give not not reluctantly or under compulsion. And that's the seventh principle that I pull out of that text there, is that we're not to be either reluctant or compelled in giving. Whatever you decide, don't be grudging and don't be reluctant and don't feel like you're forced into giving. And, uh, and again, notice that no figures or no numbers have been taught at this point. The principles that Paul is setting out are in some way uh, sort of contrary to this idea that we have sometimes of tithing. I think it's pretty significant as I went through the teaching uh, of Paul on generosity that it's significant that tithing is never mentioned by Paul as a practice of the church. In fact, it's never mentioned uh, in, in, the, in, the, uh, in any of the letters. That, uh, you know, given the great need that the church was apparently in, and Paul is in this place of teaching on generosity, and, and given uh, the fact of who Paul is, because you remember Paul was a, 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 a he- Hebrew, a Pharisee, and he was uh, well-versed in all the Jewish law, and um, he knew all of his Jewish knowledge and heritage and the Torah and the law, and yet Paul does not mention tithing. It would seem like there were many perfect opportunities for Paul to just point to the tithe and say, there's a good practice. So Paul's silence is interesting when he doesn't mention the tithe. But at the same time, when the New Testament doesn't necessarily lay out the principle of the tithe, even though Paul is laying out all kinds of principles on giving, neither does it explicitly set aside the tithe and say, well, you shouldn't tithe at all or that's not an example, which the New Testament does on some things. The New Testament does set aside some laws and say those no longer apply, right? We're not sacrificing anymore because, you know, Jesus is our high priest and he's the final sacrifice. And Paul said you don't have to be circumcised and you don't have to honor the Sabbath as a special day and, you know, the feasts and all those things. So there's lots of laws that, that the New Testament sort of deliberately set aside, but it doesn't deliberately set aside the tithe. And so it neither enforces it nor sets it aside. It just leaves it there. And Paul just leaves the tithe out there perhaps as an example, but doesn't explicitly speak it as a principle. And so the presupposition of the New Testament is that tithing is probably a standard to measure ourselves by, but really the New Testament goes beyond the tithe. The tithe is, Paul doesn't want to bring up the tithe, I think, because the principle that Paul is ultimately getting at here, and as we're going to get to now here in conclusion, is that beyond the tithe, the principle that Paul is trying to get across and the New Testament is trying to get across in giving is, op- is the principle of open-handed generosity. 
Because this is the problem with the idea of the tithe, is the tithe hammers the people who just can't give it. I mean, sometimes in your life, you get in situations where you just can't give at that point, the tithe. You can't give 10%. You know, you might not be able to give 5%. You might not be able to give 2%. I don't know what financial seasons may come and go in different people's lives. And so if you were to teach the tithe, the tithe basically hammers people who just can't, at that point in their life, give it. And then on the other hand, it lets scot-free the people who can afford to triple or quadruple or five times tithe. There are people with so much disposable income that they could give 20 or 30 or 40% of their annual income, and it really wouldn't affect their lifestyle. But they just say, well, I tithe, so I'm fine. I get to keep it all. So on the one hand, the tithe hammers the people who can't afford it, and it lets off scot-free the people who can easily afford it. And so the tithe, I think, in the New Testament, I think Paul's deliberately leaving it aside because he says, I got something else in mind. I have another principle in mind, these principles that I've outlined, that you give yourself to God first. And giving yourself to God, then this heart of generosity flows out of you. And you look at the example of Jesus and how much he gave up. He gave everything up to become poor so that we could reach, so that, so that we could become rich. And, and, and this idea that, that you should give out of what abundance you have. God has provided for you, and so give out of that. Don't pick a number. Give out of what God has blessed you with, and give so that it's fair. Give so that people's needs are met. And all of these things point towards an open-handed generosity that Paul wants to express in the New Testament. And so I think that's why the New Testament scriptures are silent on the tithe, because the New Testament and the, and the principle of giving in the New Testament goes far beyond the tithe. And the two key verses that I think describe these principles in action, Paul drives the point home that he's making about generosity in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15. So let's just look at those in closing. The point is this. Paul literally says the point is this. I mean, it's rarely that clear. (laughs) The point is this. Literally, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And so here's what the point is, Paul says. Literally, he says this is the point. This is This is what the principles are all pointing towards. There's a picture here that he paints. And the picture is a picture of a sower. And this is where I get the open-handedness. So, anybody remember sowing back before there was like, you know, sowing stuff in the fields when you're sowing? Do you remember how that worked? They'd have a bag and kind of be hanging over their, their bag. And they'd have the bag and they'd be out and they'd be sowing into the field. And so, I got like candies and, and stuff here. So, they'd be sowing like this. They'd just be... They'd just be sowing into the field, right? You'd be sowing, you'd be walking along just sowing into, into things, right? And so Paul, this is the picture that Paul has. He, he says, you're like sowing, sowing all the time. And so when I'm sowing here, I'm sowing, look at my hand. I'm sowing, I'm sowing open-handedly, right? Now, what if I was a closed-fisted sower? Can you sow with a closed hand? This is closed-fisted sewing, right? But what if I, what if I sew with an open hand? <laughs> and I can sew with an open hand over here. 
and I sow over here with an open hand, right? So if you didn't, I'll throw some in the aisle too if you want some more. Right? So Paul has this picture. He has this picture of being open-handed sower. That you sow this way. You sow generously. I didn't get the back up here, so I've got to get the back. There you guys go. Look at that. Open-handed sowing. So you see the picture that Paul paints here of sowing. And this is where I get this idea that we have to be open-handed in our generosity. Because if you have your fists closed, if you're close-handed in your, gener- in your sowing, then nothing goes. Nothing goes out, and there's no harvest. But if you're open-handed when you sow, then, then it's, just pl- it's flowing out into the, your life. And so our Christian generosity is to be open-handed. Christian sowing is open-handed sowing. It's open-handed generosity. So as you're going through your life as a Christian, the picture is this, that you should be just sowing out of your life. You should just be flinging your life out there. You should be putting it out there for people. Give yourself over to open-handed generosity and mercy and forgiveness and encouragement and giving. Just encourage people and give to people and forgive people and show grace to people and show mercy to people. Just be open-handed, living your life, just sort of flinging your life out there in an open-handed way because Paul says, and he dips back into a proverbial truth here, he says, as he has distributed freely. That's you, not God in verse 9. In verse 9 he says, he, the person, the man who has distributed freely, he has given to the poor. That's us, being open-handed. And his righteousness endures forever. We have this eternal righteousness that comes from our open-handedness. Because then he goes on, he says, now this is God in verse 10. He says, he who supplies the seed to the sower. We're the sowers, and we're living open-handed. But God, who supplies the seed to the sower... And bread for food. That's interesting that he says that. He says, don't worry about keeping your grain to yourself and having to grind it for your bread. Sow your grain, because I'm going to provide seed and I'm going to provide the food, the bread that you need. He will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest for your righteousness. So Paul says, as you're going through your life as a Christian and you're this open-handed Christian who's just sowing your life generously, bountifully into everybody around you, then God will supply more seed for you to sow and he will provide also the bread that you need for your life so that you will have your needs met and you don't have to keep your seeds and grind them to make bread because God's going to supply that. And that's what the Christian life should look like. That's the point that Paul is driving at here. So now we say, okay, now how is God filling you up for sowing? And this is where the teaching is kind of fraught with peril because this is where the, this is where the prosperity gospel goes and this is where the sort of the health wealth teachers go and, 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 and miss teach this, this verse because it can be interpreted very narrow and is interpreted very narrow by those prosperity gospel preachers that exactly what you sow, if you sow $10 into this ministry, you'll get $1,000 back in the future and God will bless you that way. And so you can take that, this interpretation very narrowly or you can take it too broadly and we don't want to take it too narrowly and we don't want to take it too broadly. We want to take the interpretation exactly the way the scripture is written. And so we want to read exactly what it says here and not say more and not say less than exactly what it says. And Paul explains just the opposite of narrowness in this. You cannot come away from this scripture being taught narrowly that as you sow, you get exactly back what you sow. In other words, if you sow money, then you exactly get back money. In fact, the text says just the opposite. Paul explains that the blessing that God will replenish us with is not narrow, but in fact, it is every kind of blessing. It is a whole bunch of different kinds of blessing. He says in verse 11, he says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. 
And so this is the second thing. The first thing I want you to remember is the open-handedness, and hopefully the candies will help you remember that. The open-handedness that as Christians we should just be flinging our life out there. But then as God promises to enrich us, he says you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You're not just going to be enriched in one way. In other words, if you are generous in this way, then that's the way you'll be enriched. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can then be generous in every way. And so you can be, you may sow money and you may be enriched in grace or forgiveness or so that you can be generous in that way. Or you may be enriched in knowledge or you may be enriched in purity or you may be enriched in encouragement or compassion or wisdom. And generosity is a seed that you plant and that seed that you plant in generosity sprouts into all kinds of different bounty in the Christian life. And I'm sure you have encountered those generous personalities. You've met those Christians. I know you have, because a lot of them are here in this building. I know you've met those Christians who don't just give to the church to meet physical needs, but their whole Christian character has become generous. You know, they're, they're just the type of people that seem to build you up with their words, and they have time for you, and they share their wisdom with you, and, and they're the people that'll be there to help you through a, a difficult situation. They're the people that are the first people that you call or the first people to call you. They'll sit with you in the hospital by your bed, and they're quick to forgive, and they are quick to give credit to other people around them. You know the kind of people I'm talking about. They're just those generous personalities that in every way in their life they seem to be pouring out into other people. They're they're those open-handed Christians that God has enriched to be generous in every kind of way. And I think that's exactly the picture that Paul is painting here. That as you start with being generous, maybe financially, the seeds of righteousness begin to sprout. Not just where you planted, but in yourself. Because God will keep replenishing you in every kind of way. He will enrich you in every way so that you can be generous in every kind of way. Not in a narrow way, but in every way. And Paul says these principles of generosity, most notably the open-handed way of sowing generously into other people's needs, results in the kind of Christian life he started out describing in the Macedonians. Right? He, was, he was praising the Macedonians for just how generous and what a great, amazing people they were, despite the hardship that they were under. And then he goes through these principles, and then he paints this picture of the open-handed sower, of Christians who are just sowing their life out open-handedly into the world, and not worrying because they know that God is going to enrich them, that he's going to supply all of their need, that he's going to be generous and pour out into them all the things that they need to give to others. And so Paul wants the church, to, that's who Paul wants the church to be. Because of, as the church becomes that, you see how he concludes this text. Because as the church becomes those kinds of people, then through us it will produce thanksgiving to God. That it will, it will produce a, great, a blessing to God. That people will bless God and that he will get honor. The result of thanksgiving that goes up to God is God receiving glory. And there's something that we give back to God and we give thanks and we give glory. It says in 2 Corinthians 9.13, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution. And so Paul's saying, as we live out this open-handed life, as we sow liberally and we sow generously and we sow bountifully into people's lives, then God will enrich us in every way so that we can continue to be generous in every way. And God will get the glory because we've become those types of people. And so we've been talking about the development of a theology of mercy, and I'll just close with these words from John Stott. John Stott is this, he's like this, uh, uh, he's an amazing figure in, in modern 
excuse me, evangelicalism. He's the writer of Basic Christianity and the Cross of Christ and about 50 other books, and he was one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People. But, excuse me, John Stott says this. He says, by our generosity, we give expression to our theology. By our generosity, we give expression to our theology. When we give to evangelism, we are expressing our trust in the gospel and the world's need for it. When we give to the poor and to social need, we are expressing our conviction that every man, woman, and child was made in the image of God and deserving of compassion. And when we give to a local church, we, acknowledge, we are acknowledging that the local church is the central to the work of God's kingdom in evangelism and justice and in the building up of the people of God. And so he says, our giving expresses our theology. You ever think about that? So as we give to things like water ambassadors in Nicaragua, we are saying that everyone is made in God's image. And everybody is entitled to water and clean, healthy water and entitled to the basic needs of life. When we give to social justice areas, when we give to the poor, we're saying that they're made in the image of God and they're deserving of that. When we give to evangelism, we give to outreach ministries, we're saying that we believe in the gospel. And when we give to the church, we're saying that the church is God's plan A and there is no plan B. This is how we equip the people of God, and give glory to him. And so John Stott says, our giving, our generosity, is an expression of our theology. It tells us what we really believe as we give. And that's true here at Lakeside. As you give to Lakeside, as you give to water ambassadors, as you give to our mission partners, as you give, wherever you give, it expresses your theology of what you really believe. Do you really believe in evangelism and in the gospel? Do you really believe in the strength of the local church and the equipping that is going on right now in our church with our kids and with people in small groups and the building up and the care that takes place? And do you, do you agree and do you believe that the world needs uh, justice and mercy and compassion to be shown through our ministries to them, to bring people from darkness into light and from want into richness? That's our theology, and that's what our giving expresses And it's expressed in this open-handedness. As we are open-handed, then God supplies all that we need. So in the New Testament, in the area of giving, as in every area, the New Testament does not cling to the law. It doesn't say, here's the rules, you must do this to be a good Christian. Instead of clinging to the law, we're set free by the principle of simply following and imitating Christ. That we give according to our abundance, and that we give more than we seem to be able, that we give sacrificially and we give open-handedly, and that as we do that, as we follow those principles, as God desires his people to be, then he blesses, and he supplies more than we can ask or imagine. So let's be that kind of people. As we conclude our theology of mercy, let's put all those pieces together. Let's be open-hearted in compassion. Let's be open-eyed in how we show mercy and let it result in us being an open-handed people in our generosity. Give freely of your life to the needs of the church and to the people around us and God will supply you with the means to give even more in every kind of way and God will be glorified by his church. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your teaching on this and um, the principles that Paul laid out, but even more than the principle, Lord, just that image of open-handed sowing of sowing bountifully into the lives around us, and then of you, you who supply the seed to the sower and the bread, that you enrich us to be generous in every way. Father, that's a, that is a reciprocal arrangement. That is a, that's a deal that can't get any better. We just pour out ourselves, and you pour into us. And the more we pour out, the more you pour in. I am so grateful, Lord, that that's the way that you made it, that you are the ultimate giver. 
and that we get to participate in your giving and that in the end you get the glory because it all flows from you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.